to really not be afraid to have those difficult conversations, especially when you approach it with respect in mind and with your peers and your leadership. And if you are in a position where you have people that are reporting to you, having those difficult conversations with the people that are reporting to you as well. From my perspective, if you have any desire to be a leader in your career, difficult conversations are just a reality that you have to face. Hi, everybody. It's Marcy Bullock, the host of Wolfpack Career Chats, and welcome back to season six, Fresh from the Pack. This season, we will explore the exhilarating yet challenging path that recent graduates face. Being a human is hard and change is hard, and you are not alone as you embrace the inevitable struggles of leaving your undergrad days behind and creating a life you love. Hi, Wolfpack fans. Today, we have the lead engineer for Rebuild Orby Composites, Will Burns. Hey, Will. Hey, Marcy. How are you? I am well. I am really looking forward to this conversation. We met when you were an undergraduate. Now you've been out. You were a COVID graduate. I remember it Mm -hmm. very well. And what we would love to do is have you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself since you graduated in 2020 with your BS in industrial and systems engineering. Share your path. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an only child. I'm born and raised in Greensboro, North Carolina. So I've been a Carolina boy all my life. I currently live in Denver, Colorado. And as, as you mentioned, I work as a lean engineer for Rebuild Orby Composites. A little bit about me as a person. I grew up playing soccer, very similar to yourself, very passionate about soccer, not only playing, but coaching as well. Gotten into skiing since I moved out to Colorado and, you know, like to go to happy hours with friends. Nothing too crazy, but yeah, I definitely like to live an active lifestyle and, and moving to Denver has, has provided a good forum for that too. Thanks for that, Will. I remember you talking about the soccer and also that you've even gotten to coach during Mm -hmm. your free time now that you're in your adult, I guess we'll call it, life after graduation. So did everything go as you thought and planned as an undergraduate when you entered the work world? Oh, not at all. Not at all. So obviously graduated in May of 2020. I was applying to jobs for, I didn't lock down the first, you know, post-grad job until about September of 2020. I even had a company kind of fly me out all the way to Seattle, Washington in July of 2020 during peak COVID, interviewed with their leadership team and ended up not getting that role. I visited Denver right before COVID and really kind of fell in love with the area. So that's where my job search was focused. Definitely took some time being, a lot of people might like to move to that area. Fortunate enough to get a role in September of 2020. But when I started that role, they told me I was going to be in two years of training, and it became clear to me pretty quickly that I wasn't going to use my degree, that I you know, really worked hard for and, and cherished the, the work that I put into that degree. It became pretty clear to me that I wasn't going to use it at all. So I was in that role for about nine months, was kind of just looking for anything in the Denver area that I thought was applicable, a company that I thought I could work my way up through. Then I was a supervisor at a manufacturing facility where we made like steel products that go on car parts and different things like all around cities and whatnot. I was in that role for about 18 months and ended up actually getting laid off from that role. They had some organizational restructuring. It was nothing related to performance or anything like that, but that was a role that I felt that I was, you know, trying my best, but I was not very happy in that role. I wasn't getting to utilize my degree to its fullest extent. A lot of my daily responsibilities were approving PTO and things like that. And, you know, dealing with small bickering and things of that nature. So I wasn't very happy in the role. So it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise because I was, I was kind of clear with my, my organization that I was a supervisor with that, Hey, I'd love to stay here and be in a different role and be more utilized, but I'm also going to look elsewhere because it doesn't really seem like that opportunity is, is there for me here. 
Um, and so once I found out that I was getting let go from that company, I was already about two or three rounds in the interview process with my current company now. And so I started this role as a lean engineer in February of this year. And it's, it's genuinely been life-changing. I've, I've learned so much in just nine months and it's, it's really had a, a big shift in not only my own personal mindset, but in professionally as well. So definitely didn't always go according to plan. Um, but you know, one door closing definitely led to the biggest opening that I've, that I've had so far and the one that I've really enjoyed the most. Well, no one hopes to get laid off, but in this case, like you said, it was an opportunity for you to move in a new direction because you weren't happy in that second role. So if I did the math right, you've been out from your undergrad less than three years and you've had three jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just hit so... Yeah, I graduated. I'm just just slightly over three years of graduating and just slightly over three years of being in the working world. So yeah, I'm on I'm on job number three in about three years. Hopefully, I think I found the one that's that's gonna stick though. But yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you shared that. And I think with your generation, that is very common for changes to be made. And I want to go back to the first job you took. So you wanted to move across country, get out to Colorado. You got this opportunity. What advice would you have for a student when they're trying to decide and the interview makes it look really beautiful and glossy and you think it's going to be one way and then it goes another way? Is there anything that you could have known at that time that would have helped you maybe decide not to take it or tips you have for people when interviewing so that they don't have to get into something that isn't represented the right way? So I think for, for myself, and that's a, that's an excellent question. Looking back, I think some questions that I wished I would have asked, and it, I think a lot of the questions that I didn't ask were kind of mindset driven at the time, kind of being in the, in the COVID world wanting to kind of move on with my life and, you know, get out of mom and dad's house where I'm actually at right now, um, home for my birthday. But I wish I would have asked more pointed questions about what the work I would be doing or that role was responsible for and how that kind of tied back into some of the things that I learned throughout the time of getting my degree. There are quite a few tools. I'm, I'm fortunate enough now that I utilize every single bit of my degree that I got at state in my, in my role now. And that's, it's amazing. That is very fulfilling, but I wish I would have asked some of those questions of different tools that I learned about throughout my time at NC state and asked if, if those were used in any, any sort of way, or if I could incorporate them into my day-to-day -day work, that would have absolutely been something that I kind of focused on. Other than that, I'm not really sure. I do think genuinely a lot of a lot of the that decision that I made was I was kind of just looking for a job and I was really going to take anything that kind of came my way if and it had an engineering title and that was something that was important to me. So I think my my threshold for what I was looking for in a job was a lot lower because of the environment that we were in in the world. For sure. I mean, like we said, we were all in the midst of a pandemic and just getting any offer when so many people were having offers reneged was something. And to be honest, I feel like you needed to learn that about yourself to be in that role and to mm -hmm. go to the second role and to go through the layoff mm -hmm. and to finally find what you're really happy with. But Absolutely. I'm also hearing you say, just like advocate for yourself. I want to use these skills. This is where I want to go professionally. So what was it like as you interviewed for this new role now? And tell us a little bit about why you are so happy. 
So interviewing for this new role, it was, it was really, it was very fortunate. So the first person I interviewed with, they were also from our HR manager. They were also from North Carolina. They went to UNCG. So we had some similar backgrounds. They also kind of grew up playing soccer as well. So I've just found that interview process as I kind of progressed through and through. Um, the second interview I had was with someone I work with every single day now. He's an absolute mentor to me. Uh, I see him as like an older brother. He and I only interviewed for about 15 minutes and he was like, you know what? I don't, we don't need to keep doing this. Like you remind me so much of myself when I was your age, I, I want to move you on to the next round. And then the final interview I had virtually before I went on an onsite tour was with my chief lean officer. So she's on the C-suite of our parent company. And she is also a, a fellow Wolfpack graduate and a fellow North Carolinian. So there were, there were so many connections and so many parallels to just like my personal background and my experience that I felt even going through that interview process, I was so aligned with the people that I knew I was going to be working with on a day-to-day -day basis. And I was also, the questions that they were asking me about what my experiences were as a supervisor and, you know, being frustrated at seeing the folks that were reporting to me of what their processes were going through on a day-to-day. -day. So my role is really to help, help improve the processes that, people use every single day to perform their roles and execute on their jobs. And they made it very clear to me that that's what I would be doing in this role. And I think they, they asked me a lot of questions about what efforts I made uh, as a supervisor to try and make my folks day to day lives easier. And I think that really kind of tapped into me being aware of how impactful I could be in this role and how this role really aligns with what my core values are as a person of, you know, being that helping hand kind of, you know, taking a leadership role and not always having all the answers, not being a person that has all the answers, but being a person that can help provide kind of a sheep herder mentality of I've got a lot of smart people around me, a lot of really capable people around me. And if I help kind of put the guide rails up, I can help us get to the solution that's going to work the best for our team. So the questions that they asked me, and I think some of the response, the kind of just the the natural conversations that spawned out of those interviews, to me, it was very like, oh, this is where I need to be, without a doubt. This was the right fit. And I, I remember your Gallup strengths because you took a class with me and it was achiever, analytical, arranger, strategic, and learner. And mm -hmm. I see you saying defining all of those in the work that you're doing. And it's so impressive. You're already a supervisor. So what is that like being a supervisor and what kinds of leadership tips would you have for someone that young? I mean, you're in your early twenties. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing mm -hmm. you might be supervising people older than you. Yeah. So I had about in my previous role, I had about 13 people reporting to me. It got up to 14 at one point. Um, yeah, you were correct. Everyone was older than me. Uh, for the most part by about five, I think the person closest to me was about five or seven years, years older than me. So there was definitely a, a bit of a gap there. And I'd say my first three months, there was quite a bit of what feels like imposter syndrome. And, you know, that can be really tough to navigate, but something, some advice that I got from, from people around me and from people that I had reached out to who I had known that had been in similar supervisory positions earlier in their career was to really not be afraid to have those difficult conversations, especially when you approach it with respect in mind and with your peers and your leadership. And if you are in a position where you have people that are reporting to you, having those difficult conversations with the people that are reporting to you as well, from my perspective, if you have any desire to be a leader in your career, difficult conversations are just a reality 
that you have to face. And from my perspective, I'd say my first year, I'd say to 15 months, none of those difficult conversations went how I thought they were going to. They, I had goals in mind going into those conversations. Like I want this to kind of happen, or I hope they react this way. Almost none of them went that way. But I think what has benefited me in the long run is to continue to kind of get those reps up. It's really hard to have those difficult conversations and for sure not easy. But if you approach those conversations with respect and with a, with a spirit to improve whatever the issue may be, whether it's an interpersonal issue, whether it's a work-related issue, whether it's a process issue, uh, it gets easier. And I think you form those bonds, at least I've found, you form those bonds with people a lot more quickly when you're able to kind of have that difficult conversation with that respect in mind. It's like, hey, we're both kind of being impacted by this issue and it needs to be improved and we can work through it together. Um, but I think it, it definitely takes time and persistence to get, I'm still not comfortable having those difficult conversations. I still get kind of worked up and, you know, prep my notes for th- how I think things are going to go. And they still, sometimes they really just don't go how I think they're going to, but I, it's, it's consistent. It's a message I kind of preach consistently to myself to continue to try and have those because I can see myself from where I was two years ago or a year ago, I have gotten, I can see the progress in my ability to influence people and my ability to, you know, get people to come to a common understanding, help people speak the same language when, you know, the skill sets might be a little bit different. So overall, I'd say my advice would be try to have those difficult conversations, even if they go completely the exact opposite way that you thought they were going to go. I like that a lot, Will. It's it's funny listening to you describe it because it doesn't matter if you're on a soccer field or dealing with professionals in a corporation. People are super messy and we are all learning. And the fact that you had imposter syndrome, I just feel like makes other people realize, oh, I don't have to know what I'm doing because we all figure it out as we go. Mm-hmm. So moving across country, I want to get into that for a minute, because I think a lot of people like you, you were saying you lived here your whole life and it seems comfortable here. This is a big step out of your comfort zone. And how did you adjust, make friends, get just into a whole new city 3000 miles away? So that that's an excellent question. It does not happen overnight. I will, I will start it out with that. I've, I've lived in Denver about three years now and I, it took me, I'd say a, a close to eight, about half the time I lived here, 18 months to two years to really feel like I had a, a tribe, so to speak. So uh, a little bit of backstory on me, uh, only child, as I mentioned, but I grew up playing soccer with 10 of my closest friends that I still talk to almost every single day, if not once a week. So a big community around me of, of people that were supportive, competitive, you know, challenging, like just, you know, a good time to be around. Um, that was something that's always been really important to me. So that was definitely something I was, I was nervous about, you know, that was probably one of the biggest cons when I had my little pros and cons list about moving somewhere else. That was one of the biggest cons is I was moving away from all these relationships that I've had since honestly, I've known some of those guys since I was five years old, but it definitely takes time, but some of the some of the things that I did, um, I actually I use some social media like Bumble BFF. I actually have found like three or four friends that I I in Denver in the Denver area that I'm I'm pretty close with, and it can feel very weird at first, and it doesn't always go super well. Um, but I would I would highly recommend that. Um, there is a, an organization. It's called Volo. It's V O L O. Um, I know they're in quite a different. I know they're in quite a few different metropolitan areas and they are an organization that sets up 
uh, different types of recreational sports leagues. So you can play soccer, you can play kickball, dodgeball, basketball, volleyball, et cetera. Um, and they, the end goal, all the, it's like $50 for a season and the, all the money goes to um, providing uh, opportunities for underage kids and underprivileged kids to play in rec sports leagues across the community. And so that was a, a really great way to meet people. I kind of joined some random teams of some folks that I, and I ended up making some, some long, long-term friends out of just meeting random people and then, you know, playing sports with them and going to a happy hour afterwards. Uh, another thing that actually ended up getting me to meet my very best friend out in Denver, we actually have matching tattoos together, is wear your college swag. Like wear your, your NC state stuff, like, or where if I'm a big soccer guy, so I was wearing a Charlotte FC shirt and I was just at the gym randomly in my apartment complex. And, and this guy comes up to me, he's like, Hey, are you from, are you from Charlotte? And I was like, I'm not from Charlotte, but I'm, I'm from North Carolina. I just moved out here a couple of years ago. And he's like, no way. I just moved here from Charlotte. I just moved here from Charlotte. Like I'm from New Jersey and me and that guy really hit it off. So from my perspective, you never know who is from North Carolina or who has a connection to North Carolina or who has a connection to NC State or wherever you're from. Um, that those would be kind of some of my my core pieces of advice, at least for trying to find new friends. That is helpful. I feel like right now, post COVID, and I've been on this campus a long time, our students are really lonely. And I think they, during the pandemic, lost the confidence or ability. And it just feels awkward to start these conversations where you just walk up and say, Oh my gosh, dude, what's that? Where are you from? Mm-hmm. So I am just curious. This because I'm, you said you have matching tattoos. So yeah. what did you yeah. and this, this person from North Carolina, what are they? We, so, a little bit of backstory. So the group of friends that I was kind of referencing earlier, we all met in like elementary and middle school and we all went to high school together. And I think eight of us went to NC state and the other four went to ECU and we all stayed really close to each other. Um, but our mascot like K through 12 was always the Cowboys. And then my parents, actually, I'm super close to my parents. I'm an only child. I'm very fortunate to have a really good relationship with both of them. And they've been, they just celebrated their 31st wedding anniversary a couple weeks ago. Um, so they actually met at a pregame to a Bon Jovi concert. And my favorite Bon Jovi song is the Wanted Dead or Alive song where he says, I'm a cowboy on a steel horse I ride. So that, the the term cowboy and kind of the antithesis of a cowboy has always had a lot of, of meaning to me in my life in terms of like speaking to like a lot of the communal bonds that are super important to me. So it's a super small tattoo, like it's the size of like a half dollar, but uh, it was kind of on a whim. I wanted to get a couple of tattoos, but this was my first one. And my buddy and I, we were, we were out at an arts festival. We had a lot of tattoo shops kind of set around the street that, that, it, that they closed down. And he was like, he knew I wanted one. And he was like, if I can find a tattoo vendor that doesn't have a long wait, is cheap, and will do a cowboy hat tattoo, will you do it? And I was like, those are a lot of specific requirements. If you can find that, I will do it. And let sure as heck, he, as right before we were about to go home, right before we were about to call it a night, he finds this tattoo vendor that's like, I got no weight, and it's right there on the wall. <laughs> okay, thank you for sharing that. I want to hear a little bit more about balancing, I don't even want to say balancing because it's hard to have an equal balance between personal life and work life because you talked about getting involved in sports teams and even giving back and coaching. How do you set that up when you're new in a company so that you have time to do things outside of work? For me, it's it's kind of 
and this might be like just where like my own personal kind of mindset i consider myself a very hardworking guy but i'm i'm not the type of person that i'm going to i'm going to come in at 6am every day and stay until 4:35 o'clock just to get the job done there is there's always another day to do more work i think it's i'm very fortunate that my leadership at my current company he has four kids that are all kind of like in my age range and so they talk to him a lot about work life balance so he's very conscientious of that and like even he's a reason that i got the opportunity to come home for my birthday and spend time with my family and i'm coming home for christmas for like 8 days and he's letting me work remote for that entire time i don't have to take a single day off to to work for christmas i think it's so i'm very fortunate there but for folks that aren't as fortunate i would i think it's about setting expectations from from the get go from when you get there not only setting expectations within yourself but communicating those expectations to your leadership around you is that like i'm going to give you and this is something i i i preached a lot when i was a supervisor to my to my direct reports is i'm going to give you and the people that were directly reporting to me it's like i don't expect you to be able to give me 100% of your abilities every single day but whatever percentage wherever you're at on that range if you give me all that if you're at 75% if you give me 75% of what of you know your max cuz that's all you can give if you give me that for 8 hours I am good cuz there's more work to do tomorrow. Like work never stops. Companies are always trying to improve, make money, make profit, all that stuff. There's always going to be more time to do that and you could always stay longer to do more work. But at a certain point, I think there's diminishing returns. Like I know for myself, I tend so I normally get to my job around like 7:15 and normally head out around like 4:15, 4:30. I've had days where I'm staying till 5:30, like almost 6:00 with some of the events we do and I start to feel with myself Uh, like a point of diminishing returns of when like I'm going to be less effective like I can you know have that yeah, I've been in the room I'm I'm working the hard hours but if you're not being effective with the hours that you're working then honestly from my perspective they're kind of wasteful I had folks that when I was a supervisor they asked me if they could work overtime and I I was typically very like yeah you can absolutely work overtime but if I had noticed someone that really wasn't doing all that well during the day like do you really need to work overtime like i think you might want to prioritize yourself here and i know that money it's not everything but it, it definitely helps when when you have it when you're able to support yourself financially but at a certain point you got to take care of your emotional well-being too so i think i'm i'm very conscious of my own ability to be effective in what environments i'm i'm most effective in and i would encourage other people to be upfront about that and try to be intentional about learning as you're getting into the working world of what works best for you. If you're more of a morning person, go in earlier and, and see if your if your boss is okay with with you, you know, dipping out a little earlier in the day because you get started earlier. But if you're more of an afternoon person, more of a night owl, ask your leadership if if they're okay with you kind of adjusting your schedule a little bit. Um with with the with COVID and and working remotely and how big that has become uh, across the world honestly i think a, i think we're fortunate as our generation moving into the workforce that a lot of our leadership in in these companies is is kind of almost forced to be a lot more flexible with their workforce because like as as time goes on as generations and larger percentages of generations move into that workforce we have at our generation i think we are a lot more conscious of that work life balance so i think 
I think it's something that people are aware of globally. I think like you, I think it ties back into being your, your own advocate. If you know that like, dude, I can't, I can't get here at six 30 and be effective for until at least eight 30. There's really no sense in you getting there at six 30 and just wasting two hours of company time. Like, so that, that would, that's kind of a long-winded answer, but I would, I would be, I'd be conscious of it and don't be afraid to speak up and say like, Hey, I'm not effective during this time. Or this is what works best for me. This is how I best operate. I am a believer and we are from two different generations, but there is more to life than just work and being intentional about that. Plus you're meeting your deadlines, you're hitting your action items, and that's what you're judged on. Will Burns, this was a delightful conversation. Go have an amazing birthday. Thank you. Thank you, Marcy. Absolutely. I have enjoyed my time getting to know you so much and you have been such an inspiration for me and continue to always be an inspiration for me and not only helping people but you know being a motivated career professional you've had a tremendous impact on my life it's an absolute honor to be on this podcast and i'm i'm so appreciative of you thank you very much